Let me just do a couple of quick announcements here. One, the uh, Operation Christmas Child, there's like one or two boxes left back there, but that doesn't mean that you can't, if they're gone, you can't participate in them because you can use a shoebox just to fill up. You could just get you some uh, an instruction back there because there are restrictions as to what you can put in those boxes, like, you know, no food or anything like that. And so just look at, uh, on that and the, the card and you can get a shoebox or you can go to you know, some of the stores like Hobby Lobby, Walmart, you know, Dollar General, whatever, and get you a plastic shoebox kind of thing and use that as well. But those are to come back here. I see a couple of them. People have already brought them back uh, at the table back there. And so, yeah, those will come back here in a couple of weeks. Everyone has to be back. Uh, every one of them has to be back then. Uh, the other one, uh, you've noticed it's a little chilly in the building here. Uh, the, the, we did have someone come back here to show us how to turn this stuff on and how everything works and, and, and stuff like that. And there, w- there was a little bit of a problem. Something needs to be done. He hasn't been back yet to work on that. And so that's what's going on here. But I don't think anybody here is going to complain about it because this is not that bad, is it? Uh, I remember when we were up in, uh, we lived in New England. I went and we, I love to go down to Boston and walk around Boston a lot. And there, uh, everybody's heard in their history lessons, the North Church, where they got up in the steeple, one by land, two by sea, and all that kind of stuff. And so we would go into the North Church. And when you go into that church, they had cubicles. They didn't have pews like this. They had these cubicles. And there's just rows and aisles of all these cubicles everywhere. And, and they would seat like six to eight people inside those cubicles. And what they would do is during the wintertime, they would bring their own little like hot pot with them, like coals and stuff. And they would set it in the middle and everybody would be bundled up around it and, you know, kind of warming their hands while the guy is up. And there was like this big, actually, I think it's over here, this big spiral going up in the pulpit would be up here. And I thought, man, I would never want to be preaching way up there like that. Uh, but that's the way they kept warm. And I thought, you know what? I am never going to complain about how cold it is, again, inside a building, what they had to, to go through there. And also, just living overseas, uh, I remember in, in uh, North Africa once, winter times it does get cold. We lived in a city that was just, you could see the snow-capped mountains off in the distance there, and so an hour away. And so it did get chilly where we were. And I, I remember meeting with a couple of, you know, a couple of groups sometimes in, in homes or something like that, and it wasn't like they had a lot of heat there either. And so... You know, I, I began to appreciate, uh, even in times like this when, you know, folks might be a little chilly, that uh, there are those around the world that are in a little tougher situations than uh, we find ourselves in. But um, I hope that uh, you guys will uh, understand that and hopefully pray for the guy that we are grateful for heat. I'm not saying let's don't do without it. Uh, we are grateful for that because I had to kind of leave my office a couple of times this week when my hands were getting cold on the computer and go somewhere else and, and, and work a little bit. But uh, we are grateful for uh, those who are working behind the scenes to get that going on. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, that's where we are today. And today we actually see them finish the wall. Uh, they have been working on this thing for a while, and they, these, these previous few chapters, we've seen the journey that Nehemiah has taken, and it has been just a really hard journey for him. And what we have seen uh, here, we, 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 we'll just look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no, no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors at the gates. And so he's got the walls completed and everything, but the gates and the doors, they're not up yet. Okay, they're going to, here in a few verses, we're going to see where that's completed. 
they finally get those up. But anyway, this, this, this work, that, and let me just give you an idea. I, I was looking up some, trying to figure out what are the dimensions of this wall. And basically, they say these things, the, the wall was like eight feet thick. That's a pretty thick wall. You know, eight, you know, that's like, like this. And so that's a pretty thick wall, but it was like 12 feet, or, I mean, excuse me, I'm sorry, 40 feet high in places. It, it, would, it would, you know, depending on the role of the terrain and all that, but on average, it was around 40 feet high. That's a pretty high wall for these folks. And if you look back in chapter 3, remember, we will look back and see who was building this wall. It was merchants and jewelers and gold keepers and perfume makers and, and businessmen and temple workers and priests. And there was even a, 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 a man and his daughters were working on this wall that was eight feet thick and averaging 40 feet high all around the perimeter of Jerusalem here. And here they've completed the wall. There is no breach in the wall. The enemies on the outside that we just saw, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and all those guys, they're not happy. And what they have done in the past, remember, what they've done in the past is they started off when chapter 2, when Nehemiah went to the round, surveyed the work, and he said, man, the things are bad around here. We're going we're to rebuild this wall. And these guys, these same guys were questioning, are you sure, does the king in Persia, do they, do they know you're, what you're up to around here? Are you sure you're about to start this? They started questioning him. And then just within two chapters there, in the beginning of chapter 4, we see where they start ridiculing and mocking the workers, telling them, Man, you feeble people, you're weak. I mean, just knowing that they're not construction workers. They're not, and he's call, they're calling them feeble. They're even saying, man, if a fox jumps up on this wall, it'll, it'll come tumbling down. It's just not strong. And they're just ridiculing and mocking them. And we saw where Nehemiah, he stopped and he prayed and he encouraged the people. And they went back to work and they just kept doing it. And when the, these same enemies saw them going back to work and doing that, they turned from the mocking and ridiculing to intimidation and threats of war. We see that somewhere toward the middle of chapter 4. The people get a little concerned. It looks as if they might stop their work. They're afraid. And Nehemiah kind of gathers and says, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put some of you up for guards. The rest of us are going to keep working. We're going to pray to our God. He has been with us. Look at what he's done through all this time. We're going to keep pushing forward. We're going to keep working. And boy, the these enemies, Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and all of these other people, they're just not happy seeing them continually moving forward with all of this opposition against them. And now here in chapter 6, we see that the wall is finished, but it doesn't stop. I want you to look at what it says here in chapter, on, as we read on. And then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together in Kephirim, in the plain of Ono, but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? And they sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. And then Sanballat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. Four times they came to him saying, hey, let's get together, let's meet. 
Basically, they, they, they put on the front that they, let's negotiate. Let's have a conversation about this. Let's, let's see where we can kind of agree maybe. I, we don't know exactly what the message was, but they wanted him to come out. But he kind of knew that they wanted to harm him. And honestly, if you think about it, it's not like you had to have this great Macedonian vision. Hey, be careful. They're, they're going to hurt you because we've seen where they have been against them the whole time. They have been against the building of this wall the whole time. And there's, there's, there's probably there's several reasons for all this. And we'll see some of those later maybe. But here we're seeing that they just are not happy with what's going on. And they are doing anything from ridicule to questioning to mocking to intimidation to threats of war. All sorts of stuff. And they're ready to do just about anything to put a stop to this wall. And it's just a not too much of a stretch to think, even harming Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is not about to, number one, stop doing the work that God has called him to do, and number two, go to a place where the enemies who has been trying to stop him from doing what God had called him to do, he's not about to go and meet with them either. He's not going to waste his time doing this. And he tells them, he says, why should I stop the work to come and talk with you? But then they send this open letter. Let me just tell you, the letters that they typically send between people, you you have to think about the way things worked back then. It's not like they had Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or anything like that where things just kind of, news just kind of popped up all the time. I mean, we can get some information overload if we spend time looking at our phones too much, right? We we can just have all sorts of things coming. I mean, this morning, just this morning, I was inundated with what's going on in Chile down there with uh, the political unrest and the things of course we hear about the things in Syria and and just the church that's going the things that are going on in the church in China I mean they you know I read an article about how they came in and bulldozed a church and hundreds of people arrested and all this just just you can get inundated with all this news back then people were begging for news it wasn't at their hand. And so when people came in with messages, it was like a crowd would start gathering around these criers or these messengers. Hey, what's that you got? What's going on? Who said this? And, and, but, and they would typically send them rolled up and sealed so that nobody could get to it if it was between two officials. And typically, we, we learned last week that Nehemiah, he was a governor appointed by the king over the Jerusalem area. And more than likely, these other guys, these other guys who are enemies are governors in their areas, the, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and the Arabs and all that. They're just probably governors appointed by the king of Persia to oversee land that the Persians own now. And, and, and they don't want any problems with anybody out there. So they're, they're just saying, you govern this part, and you govern this part, and you govern this part. And you have our interest at heart. And so here we have these guys sending a message. And more than likely, when it says it's an open letter, more than likely those other ones were sealed letters. If they're going to make a point here to say it was an open letter. Because this thing is like putting out a full-page ad in the USA Today. This is like putting a full-page ad in the newspaper that everybody reads and you know, and, and it's like taking notice. And so you can imagine when he comes in with an open letter, everybody's going to hear this. This is really, this, to do something like this is, 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 is not a very good thing between two officials. It, 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 this is disrespectful. To put Nehemiah in this kind of a position, but, 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 but it's done purposefully. He's wanting this, he's wanting to get the people around him to see, hey, I'm trying to have a conversation with this guy. He's ignoring me. 
I just, all I want to do is talk with him. And he's not wanting to come out and at least talk with him. Yeah, we're upset with you guys and all this, but he doesn't even want to come out and have any negotiations with us. And so he was trying to put pressure publicly on Nehemiah that Nehemiah would change his mind and come see them. And look at how Nehemiah responded there in verse 6. In it was written, it is, well, this is actually what was written. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, therefore you are rebuilding the wall, and you are to be their king according to these reports. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now and let us take counsel together. He said, tell them, come and talk to us because, listen, I've been hearing from people. Isn't that what he's saying there? I, they say, you know, he mentions one person's name, but he says, we've been hearing reports that you're going to rebel against the king of Persia. Man, do you really want to do that and cause that kind of problems and bring the king down on us out here? Because if that report did get back to the king of Persia, they wouldn't hesitate to go and address that. They wouldn't hesitate to figure, okay, we're going to have to send some armies and put them in their place. But Nehemiah, knowing the relationship that he had with the king, Nehemiah had the letter from the king saying, you can go do this. Nehemiah had all the assurances from the king that not only was he going to be free to go and rebuild, but here's some supplies and here's the materials and here's the things that you're going to need to make this happen. And so the king was on board with this. But these guys are just trying to stir the pot and they, they are saying that you are going to rebel against the king. You have set yourself up to be king here and you have brought in some prophets to go around and make sure they prophesy and everybody can hear, say, that, oh, this is of God, that he, there is already a king in Judah. And Nehemiah responds back to them. And he says, and then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind for all of them were trying to frighten us thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done but now oh God strengthen my hands basically he just sent a message saying liar liar pants on fire he just said yeah what you are saying is not true there's no truth in it you're making this stuff up and he's telling them you're doing this to try to frighten us, to try to get us to stop working. You're doing this to discourage us. You've been doing this from the beginning. I can imagine the message was longer than just these couple of sentences maybe. But I imagine he was saying, man, from the beginning you've been trying to stop us from work. From the beginning you have been mocking and ridiculing us. From the beginning you've been questioning me. From the beginning you have done these things. And now that we've got this wall up, now you're ratcheting up the pressure. Now that we're almost got the doors up, you are realizing that you are almost about to lose whatever foothold you had in authority or in, the, in, in being able to manipulate the people around here. You are about to lose all of that. And he just tells them, And he tells them, when he tells them that, and then he says, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. 
Again, what does Nehemiah do every time we see something like this come up? Where Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and all these others that are trying, whatever it is they're trying to do, what do we see his response? Every time we see him, oh God, he is going to God. He is putting his trust in God. He knows that this is something that God wants him to do. And so he is assured and knowing that God will be faithful to help him through this. And all he, here, all he says is, God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands so that, I can, so that we can keep working and get this thing done. Strengthen our hands. He prays to God. And that ends, it seems, for the moment, the problem that he's having with those guys on the outside of the wall those other people but then something happens to where he's having a little problem on the inside verse 10 and when I entered the house of Shemaiah the son of Deliah the son of Mehetabel who was confined at home he said let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said to him, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they would, could reproach me. He goes into this house. Shemaiah, we, we don't know that much about him. If you look up Shemaiah, and the, man, there's like a whole, this must be like a common name. You know, it, it, it's just, there's a lot of Shemayas. There's actually, later on, we'll, uh, if, if you look down all the list of the priests who were involved in, uh, there's a Shemaiah there, but it's not the same guy. Uh, there's, they're, they're all over the, New, uh, the Old Testament. And here we see this particular person who has, it seems as a, as a prophet, is telling him, hey, I've heard a report that they are going to kill you and they're going to kill you tonight. They're going to kill you at night. So what you need to do is to get inside the temple, get inside the house of God. Get inside so that you can board it up and protect yourself. They can't get inside there. They're not about to go inside there. So you'll be safe. And in his mind, he's thinking, why would a man like me flee? What is he talking about when he says it? Why would a man like me flee? I think throughout this whole process, he has stood in the face of the enemies. He has stood up to them and he has said, you know, we've we've got a a plan from God. We've got a call from God to do these things. And we're going to continue to do these things no matter what you want to do to us. We're going to continue working on this wall. We're going to continue doing what God wants us to do here. And no matter what you do, he has showed the people, no matter what you do, we're going to continue doing this. He has encouraged the people when they've been frightened. He's encouraged the people when they've been discouraged. He continually puts it out there in front of them. We must continue to do this because this is what God wants us to do, no matter how hard it gets. And he comes up with plans, but he always is bathing. It seems like with, either before or after the plans, there is prayer to God asking for help. So here he's saying, why would a man like me flee? He's basically saying, 
If I'm going to be their leader and if I'm going to tell them this stuff all of this time, then why would I become discouraged? Why would I become frightened and turn and run? That's one way we can look at it. But then he kind of gives us a little bit of hint of even if that was one thing he's thinking about, look at what he says here. And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? See, he knows. He, he, he knows. He's not ignorant of the temple and how it works and all this. He knows that as soon as he goes into the temple and boards himself up and all that, that he will desecrate the temple. And it will come on to him. People will start looking at him and say, wait a minute, he keeps bringing up God and talking about God. Why is he hiding himself in the temple? Why is he going in there to desecrate the temple? Why is he avoiding what is, where is his reverence for God now if he's going to be hiding in that temple and just leaving us out here? Where is his reverence for God now? Why would a guy like me flee? I'm just a regular guy. I'm a governor. I'm, a, I'm an official out here trying to help people. I am not a priest. I am not supposed to be going into the temple and seeking sanctuary. I need to be out here leading the people. And it says there right after that, he perceived that surely God had not sent him. There is a discernment in his life, not only earlier where it's more obvious than it is now, but earlier when it was Sanballat and Tobiah and all them saying, come and talk with us, come and, you know, negotiate with us, come and counsel with us. It was more obvious then. These guys have been against me from the beginning. They want to harm me. But here... There's someone from within that have said, come and let's go and hide. Let's go and protect yourself. Let's, let's go into the temple and do this. And he, he perceives there's, there's a discernment in his heart. And, 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 and I believe, and I, I believe here that the discernment that he has in his heart comes from the time that he spends in prayer and seeking God out. There are many times throughout this whole process, he discerns things, he perceives things, he, he, he feels things or, or whatever. But I believe those things, that when, when they come like that, that they are more likely to, they're more likely to come and be true and accurate the closer we are to God. How many times have we been in situations where we didn't know necessarily the answer, but we felt a discernment that we should not be doing this. This is not something that's going to make God happy. Even if it's something that is innocent, this is not something that's going to make God happy. Nehemiah here, he's just saying, I perceive that this guy is not saying this because this is what God is telling him to say, say to me. That's what prophets do. Prophets communicate, this is the word of God. This is, this is what God wants you to hear. I have a word for you. Prophets are standing up and proclaiming the words of God. And here he says, I don't think that God sent him. But he uttered this prophecy, and it says here that because Tobiah and Sanballat hired him. We're going to find out later that this and there are other families, especially among the nobles, that are uh, that not only have been, not only have they sold out, standing you know on the one side they're Jewish and they want to be a part of this. If this is successful, man, this is going to be good for us. But on the other side, they're connected to 
the, 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 some of their enemies by oath. We saw that last week, that they are connected by oath to these enemies. And, and, and in many times, these enemies, they, they, they somehow were married into these families. And, and again, this is what happened here. Tobiah especially, you know, married into one of the nobles of Judah's family. And so when this, this, this Nehemiah, when he sees this and he says, okay, these guys are continually, not only on the outside attacking us, but now they're starting to recruit these people on the inside, these folks that I'm assuming at one time they might have trusted. I'm assuming at one time they might have considered what they had to say. But now he's saying, I don't believe that God sent him to tell me this because I believe that Tobiah and Sanballat hired him. And he was hired for this reason in verse 13. Look at what it says. That I might become frightened and act accordingly in sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. As soon as he goes into the temple and shuts this thing down and starts hiding, they will use that information to discredit him in anything and everything that he has to say to the people of, of, of Jerusalem. They will use that for all the Jewish people around here to discredit him. And, what he, and, and, and it's not much different for we, 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 see, we see how many times have we read articles in the newspaper or magazines or on the computer or the phone about pastors who have been accused of something and they find out later on that that accusation was false. Well, for the time period, that's, that's hard for a pastor and his reputation to get over. I've known of a handful of people who have been accused of one thing or another, whether it's stealing money in a church or having an illicit relationship or something like that, and it was just false. It was not true. But for a period of time, their reputation was scarred. So here he's saying, you're just trying to discourage me. You're just trying to get us some kind of report that you can show against me and have the people turn away and, and, and not finish what we say. And look at what he does in verse 14. Remember, oh my God. And he starts saying, according, remember these guys according to their works. And also, Noadiah, the prophetess, and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. Shemaiah is not the only one here who's doing this. He mentions Noadiah and he talks about other people and the rest of the prophets who are trying to frighten me. But here's, here's what happens. He doesn't stop working on the wall. He doesn't stop working on the gates. He doesn't stop encouraging the people to look and look at the next verse. And so the wall was completed on the 25th day, on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. All of this time as they started on this wall, it's 52 days they finished this wall. Now, think about that. That's a 52 days that these folks have been working, picking up rock, piling it up on top of each other, doing whatever they need to do to build this wall that is 8 feet thick and averaging 40 feet high all around the city of Jerusalem. That is hard work. But it's 52 days they finish. And when all of our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. Why did they lose their confidence? For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 
with all the things going on around them, they just knew with the numbers they had and surrounding Jerusalem and, the, and where Jerusalem had come from. And, 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 and these were just exiles and they, they, they weren't construction workers. They were just regular people and they were building on this wall. They never thought it would come to this. But they, when they saw the completed work, they knew, wow, God was in on this. God helped them through this. And they were discouraged. They, it says, they lost their confidence. And in verse 17 through the end of the chapter here, this is kind of like a footnote. Remember what we said at the very beginning of this? It's not like this is a running diary that Nehemiah is writing. This is after, after the fact. This is, you know, long long into his governorship, even after he's been back to Persia and come back in chapter 13. Uh, this, is, this is writing looking back. This is like recording history. as they, they're, they're, It's not running a, a, a running diary as they go through this. But right here, this is kind of, I would say this is almost like a footnote because this is talking about what's been going on all of this time when it says, also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah and Tobiah's letters came to them so here we're seeing there's they've had communications these nobles that did not participate in the work that we saw in chapter three remember it's, it's listing all these people and then it says the nobles they didn't help they didn't have anything to do with it they did they disagreed with the leaders they disagreed with the masters they didn't want to have anything to do with it and so the nobles but here it says the nobles they were in communication with Tobiah and Tobiah was in communication with them all of this time. They were writing, letters were going back and forth. And for many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah and the son, or, or the son of Era. And his son, Jehohanan, had married the daughter of Meshusalem, the son of Berechiah. And I'm not about to try to say those names again. But you can see there's family connection here. Somehow Tobiah has gotten into a, a, a family here and they are working back, both sides. Working, the nobles are working back and forth. In verse 19, moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence. Can you see, the, can you see what's going on here? And Nehemiah, he's talking, he's trying to get the people to do the work. And he's saying, man, we got to be careful. Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem outside these walls, they're trying to hurt us. Can you hear these nobles sitting in these same circles going, yeah, you know, Tobiah's not a bad guy. He's really not trying to do what you think he's trying to do. He's, he's, bring, he's talking about them and... You know, waxing poetic, you know, talking good things, talking about his good deeds in his presence. And he reported Nehemiah's words to him. It says, then Tobias sent letters to frighten me. This, this sending of letters and, and all this, this is like a footnote of things that have been going on. And it could be these four, these four correspondence, four times they said, come and talk to us out here. And it could be ongoing letters that have been happening since this time. But, but, but this, is, this is what I want. This is what I get out of this text. I don't just get the, oh, they finished building the wall. Oh, they, 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 they just turned their nose up at the enemies around them. Uh, you know, Nehemiah was able to discern in his spirit what, was, what God was really trying to get him to see, that who the enemies were and the work ahead and all the, All of those things are wonderful. 
what I really want us to see here, and, and, we, and we saw it a little bit in the last couple of weeks, was when Nehemiah was trying to turn the people's attention, yeah, towards the work. But the work because that's what God wanted them to do. Yeah, don't be afraid of your enemies. Why? Because God is on our side. He continually tried to turn their attention to God in the midst of this. And here he's even, he's even as he goes to God, as he prays to God, as he gives them evidence that God's had his hand, and as the people around, the enemies around him are looking, he said, man, God no doubt has helped them do this. He is continually trying to point them to God because it is in the, even in times when they're not working, he knows that that is a time when God is working in the people and in individuals and in groups. And he's working in their hearts to bring them to a place that when the times do get tough, they're ready for it. It's not. It's, it, it's, it's almost like a, uh, I was talking to, I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a guy and uh, he was asking me about when I was in high school playing football. And, um, you know, it was a couple of weeks before, see, he was in high school and it was a couple of weeks before the season was starting and he and I were talking and he was just saying, yeah, I've been thinking about going out. Maybe I'll just go out like the week before the game starts or something, make the team or whatever. I said, well, I hope you can, but I said, have you been running any this summer? And he went, no. You've been working out, lifting weights at all this summer? He went, no. You even been talking to the coaches and find out if they need you or anything like that? He went, no, I just think I want to go play football. And just know, looking at this guy, he was not in condition to go out there just like he was without preparing himself to play football. And so there was, he should have been all summer running. He should have been lifting weights. He should have been, you know, working with the coach on a plan of what do you need to get ready for the season? Know the playbook, know the assignments, all of these things to get ready for the season. Because when the season starts, man, games are hard. The continuous hitting and tackling and, and all sorts of things that are going on and, and, and the running and all sorts of things. You just can't walk onto a field. I think I want to play ball. In the same way here, he's saying that when the tough times come or, or during our easy times, during our lulls, we feel like that is when God is preparing us for the tough times that will come. We're all going to face difficult times in one way or another. We don't know what that's going to look like. We're all going to face them, it, whether it's health or finances or relationships or whatever it might happen. We're all going to have difficult days. But what is it that we are doing in the preparation of that by abiding ourselves to Christ? How are we abiding in Christ? Because if we, if, if we look at John chapter 15, he, he, he talks about that if you want the full, these things I write to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Who here doesn't want to have fullness of joy? It just doesn't come like that. It doesn't, it's not a feeling that comes on. It is something that, he, these things that he's talking about is these words he's, write, he's written the 10 verses before that in John chapter 15 verses 1 through 10. And if you look at those verses, is Abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide in me and my word will abide in you. Abide in my love and my love will abide in you. All of this stuff. It doesn't just happen. It is something we have to, it is a discipline that we have to proactively and intentionally make a part of our day all day, every day. 
Abiding isn't, I'm abiding, now I'm not abiding. It's not the way it works. Abiding is living in Christ. It's having an abode in Christ. It is attaching yourself to Christ. And it's not something that you can just attach and then turn, hey, I'm tired of this right now, I'm going to do my own thing. Abide in Christ. First Peter, actually, Peter wrote this in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be of sober, sober spirit and be on the alert. Okay? Be sober-minded, be sober spirit, and be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The enemy is constantly out there trying to seek someone to devour. Can you imagine... What might happen to the people of Jerusalem if they kind of wandered outside the walls as they were being built, wandered too far away from the walls as they were being built? When they were inside the walls, they were safe. But if they had wandered outside those walls, wandered away from those walls, the enemy was all around them, ready to pounce. All around them. It's the same thing in our own today as, as we consider how is my walk with Christ? Is it something that is 24-7? Is it a part of my DNA? Or is it just something I do? Yeah, I'm having a bad day. I think I'm going to read my Bible. Yeah, I wish something would happen. I think I'm going to pray about it. Or are we praying constantly? Are we being thankful in all things? Are we experiencing the fullness of his joy? It doesn't come unless we are abiding in Christ. Constantly, And I believe that Nehemiah, as he perceives, as he discerns, as he is given strength to do this work, it is because he continuously is going before the Father, continuously seeking the will of the Father, and doing whatever it takes to honor the will of the Father. What is your dreams? What is your dream for this life? We're all going to die at some time. What is your dream before this thing is over? What is your dream? I can tell you years ago, my dream, even after I became a Christian at the age of 22, my dream was to be a field videographer in football games or to be a football coach. That was my dream. And I think I could have been good at it. Either one, I wanted to work with ESPN or I wanted to be on the sidelines working with guys, learning how to play the game. And somehow, some way, I, I just, that was my dream. My dream was to have a little house on a hillside somewhere with a pond down here with a lot of fish in it that I could catch fish anytime I wanted. My dream was to be able to, you know, I don't need to go through all my dreams. You get the idea. I had dreams. But man, God did something in me and called me to something bigger than my dreams. And yes, there are times like, man, what, what, what would it have been like? What would that have been like? But I can tell you, I have no regrets whatsoever in my life apart from my dreams. None whatsoever. And part of what I have learned, and, and it has not come easy, and, I, and sometimes I still mess this up, but part of what I have learned is that I am able to say that and believe that more as I abide in Christ, as I spend time in Christ, as I abide in Him, and I abide in His Word, and I abide in His love. Those things will abide in me, and then I can experience the fullness of His joy. I believe Nehemiah in the tough times, 
all that time back there when he was enslaved. And he, it seems like he was very familiar with what was going on in Jerusalem after he heard it. It broke his heart because he knew how that, how that, 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 what that city meant to the people and what that city meant to God. I believe that in his relationship with God all this time, I believe that he's fam- so familiar with it. Last week he brought up even, even to a sense of the Mosaic law that says you shouldn't be exacting an interest on the loans that you give to people. You shouldn't be doing that. And he didn't demand that they do it. He pleaded with them. He says, please, twice, please, would you do this? Would you give them back what was rightfully theirs? Would you just do the right thing? Please, would you do that? Again, constantly trying to draw people back to God to do the right thing because of God, not because he demanded it as the governor of Jerusalem. As we abide in Christ, we are, at, we are lifting weights. We are running sprints. We are out there practicing, doing what we need to do, and we will be ready for whatever comes down the road, whatever happens. We will be ready for that. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I am so grateful. For how you have taken me from my dreams and given me something that I had never I, I could not even perceive back in the day. And as I look back, I'm so thankful. Not only in what you have taught me and what you have but the people you've brought into my life the places that you've allowed me to go the things where I have been able to see your hand at work in others you have blessed me so much and I imagine in this room there are those who have that same story and one way or another father we are thankful So grateful for your love to us and how you have warned us in your word that things are going to be tough at times for us, but that you would be there with us, that you would be faithful to us, that you would not leave us nor forsake us. Father, as we we exercise, as we lift weights, as we run sprints, as we practice our faith, in these times when things might not be as bad as they could be, in the preparation of those times when they do come, Father, help us to keep, fix our eyes on Jesus. Now and then. That we might be overcomers, victorious, Thank you, Father, for loving us and for calling us to yourself. I pray that we would be able to honor you this week with our thoughts and our words and our actions one way or another that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen.